the term all ships rise together. You know, I believe that where, you know, we can all join hands and, you know, lift one another up over the course of our careers. And, you know, I love to see when people are doing that, you know, are not only developing themselves, but are really passing that on to develop others. You're listening to the Hospitality Leaders. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with leaders in the hospitality, event, and food service industries. Our conversations help you understand the state of the industry, the challenges we all face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at hospitalityleaderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Upshift. Our on-demand staffing platform allows businesses to hire high-quality hourly workers with peace of mind. Find out more at upshift.work. Okay, I'm here today with Andrea Foster. She's the SVP of Marcus Hotels and Resorts, as well as an advisory board member for EV Passport. How are you doing today, Andrea? I'm great. How are you, Chris? Wonderful. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. So I thought I thought maybe today we'd start by just hearing a little bit more about you, getting a feel for your background. You know, obviously you're involved in a number of things right now. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's super to be here. I appreciate everyone who's tuning in and listening to us today. So as you shared, I'm SVP of development for Marcus Hotels and Resorts, where I focus on growing our portfolio of hotels via acquisitions, including joint joint venture investments and management contracts. We are a management company for hotels as well as an investor. 87-year-old company. We're based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I lived for the first five and a half years I was with the company. Last year, I relocated and now work remotely from the DC area. And let's see, so a, a little bit about you know how I ended up here. If we go way, way back, my path started when my parents, my, my dad is a retired investor, developer, serial entrepreneur, and my mom is a retired teacher. They opened an ice cream shop that my mom ran and where I worked since I was 11. So that was the first time I got to provide customer service. And, you know, I'm a people person. I absolutely loved it. So we'll skip ahead from there. I decided there's another whole story of how I truly found hospitality, but I'll skip over that for now. But I ended up at Cornell at the hotel school and did my undergrad there with a degree, obviously, in in hospitality, but focusing on operations and real estate finance were my concentrations. Then after graduation, I started in hotel operations which I found very valuable in my career. And that's kind of the path I wanted to follow on the rooms division side. So, you know, I wasn't on the food and beverage side or sales and marketing. Specifically, I was on the rooms division side. My first job was front office manager, then rooms division manager, and then went on to consulting with PKF Consulting, then into business development and marketing. I worked for a company called Miraval for about almost five years and then went back into consulting when PKF Consulting, which was had, you know, then acquired by CBRE Hotels, that's what it's more known as today, reached out to me to run the Boston-based New England practice for CBRE. So I did that for another five years, and then Marcus came calling. So I've been at Marcus for almost seven years now. So that's, that's quite the run, I think, you know, quick, quick summary <laughs> of how I ended up where I am today. I love the lightning round version of that. That was awesome. <laughs> But clearly you've gained a ton of experience and, you know, I can imagine the insights that you developed. And, and is that kind of what led you to the advisory position with the EV Passport or, or how did that come about? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. So, you know, one of the things I know we'll talk about more is networking, the importance of connections in the industry, you know, throughout, because, you know, we can't achieve anything without other people. It, this is not just a, you know, a one person 
you know, run through life. You know, we have to align with others. And so EV Passport came about. My receptiveness to the opportunity was because I believe so strongly in ESG. So for those who are new to the term environmental social governance on the environmental side, let's take care of our earth. I've done it since before it was cool to the you know best of my ability. Never perfect, but you know, I always try to do better, be better. And so just having a, a care and concern about the environment, you know, is a, is a piece of that social is another. And I know we'll talk a little bit about how I'm involved on the social, you know, side of, you know, advocating, supporting, mentoring. But in this connecting, I met the chief marketing officer, the person who is now the chief marketing officer for EV Passport. I've known him for over 15 years. And so through the industry, you know, he's a marketing expert. So we connected a long time ago and have stayed in touch, you know, over the years. And he reached out to me when the company, which EV Passport is an electric vehicle charging company. And he said, we have success in our scaling in industrial, in office, in multifamily, but we really need some introductions and some, you know, support through expansion and hospitality. We are building, and they have since launched a hotel cloud, which is fantastic. And so that's an exciting step into something very unique and experiential around electric vehicle charging. So it's not transactional, it's an interactive experience. So in that, he said, you know, we need someone who's really steeped and connected within hospitality to help us navigate, you know, the the flow and and process and make sure that everything we're doing is really serving the needs of the hospitality industry. And, you know, First, I believe in people, the people, you know, you're connected to good people working and, and, uh, you know, interacting with good people and helping, you know, people within good companies grow. That's important to me. And then just being able to make a difference within my industry and doing it, you know, in this ESG, you know, supported way, it was a no brainer for me. So after meeting, you know, the, the team, understanding more about the company, it was a huge yes. And I'm excited about, you know, what the opportunity, you know, what opportunity lies ahead for the company and how I can continue to support that, you know, in whatever way I can with introductions and, and, you know, just supporting the need for technology in our industry. It's such a, so important. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the, what I love about your purview and, and, and kind of where you sit in the industry right now is that, you know, you're able to be involved. You've got great oversight. You've got the ability to be able to drive your passions, which is absolutely wonderful. But one of the things that I know that our listeners love to hear about is kind of, kind of what's changing, what's next, right? So, so from where you sit right now, what are some of the, you know, some of the changes, some of the things that you see have been just, just moving in our industry? Yeah, absolutely. Such a great question. And, you know, if only we all had a crystal ball and could see everything that's ahead, but, you know, what we've seen, the recovery in the hospitality industry coming out of the pandemic has been driven by leisure travelers. I mean, we saw that everybody wanted to you know, go on revenge travel, couldn't wait to get out of the house, probably cooped up with their family too long. But it was initially driven by that. And what we're seeing now is that there's some continued leisure travel, you know, now that we're into the summertime. So of course it scales up a bit, scales up a little bit when kids go back to school, we're seeing some corporate travel come back and we're seeing groups start to book again. But what's really unique in this recovery is average daily rate is so strong and is actually leading the recovery more so than occupancy, which is something that's actually backwards from all previous recoveries. And I will give STR and CBRE and all the 
you know, the researchers credit for this, that, you know, this is something that they have been researching and they have been sharing at industry conferences. And it's, it's pretty unique in that. And so as part, when, when guests are paying a higher ADR, you know, a higher rate mm-hmm. for their room, you know, their expectations go along with that. They expect right. an experience. They expect service. You know, they expect and these are basic things. I'm not sure this is, you know, this is a rocket science, but their, you know, their level of expectation grows with how much they're paying. And I'm sure we can all as consumers relate to that. So, but the industry is also challenged by, with labor, you know, hospitality industry isn't the only one, but finding labor and filling open positions has continued to be a challenge, you know, ever since we started seeing demand after the big dip, you know, that happened when COVID really hit us. And so we have to start finding new ways to interact with our guests, to meet their needs, to d- deliver exceptional service, but in, in, in efficient ways that don't overburden our associates. So what I see is that, you know, what's, what's really happening in all of this, you know, we, this could, conversation could go in many directions, but I'm going to focus on a digital shift. Okay. I remember conversations and panels that I was on prior to the pandemic, and there was resistance around adding new technology to hotels because there was always this question of, but does that take away a human interaction? You know, does that in some way prevent us from having a face-to-face interaction that makes a guest stay even more wonderful? Big question there. So, but then all of a sudden you end up with, you know, in a pandemic where now, oh no, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere near another human. I, you know, we need to stay away. We need to right. you know, socially distance as we're calling it. And so technology got this big boost and all of a sudden it became necessary. So mobile keys was one example. You know, people didn't want to go to the front desk and either wait in line to check in or simply didn't want to interact, you know, for, for fear of, of, you know, again, physical proximity. Right. And so they wanted a mobile key. Another one is texting with guests. All of us bring our devices, our smartphone with us. And I, I'm going to make the assumption that you, Chris, are like I am. I carry my smartphone, my iPhone with me where I go. I use it for a lot of things. Sometimes I have to put it away somewhere and forget where it is because, you know, we're too right. attached to it. Of course. But we, you know, we're, we text with our family and friends. We order you know, to go food on an app that, you know, we learned how to do by opening the app and figuring it out. I mean, you know, all of this is, you know, the learning process has become pretty quick. So we expect that same, you know, interaction at a, at a hotel. When I go, I'm very happy to interact by text. If I need someone in person, I'll go find someone in person. But for the most part, it's just convenience, quick, you know, questions, answers, and solutions. So I think that's another, let's see, I already mentioned word service. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's funny, right? Because the this is like the the conversation the owners always wanted to have, right? Which was, why can't you drive the rate, lower the occupancy, and we figure out what happens on the other side, right? And that was always the interesting conversation. And then it always turned to, well, what about technology? Could we use technology to supplement some of the labor so that we can offer better value in other areas? Right. And the argument was always adoption. Right. You know, I, I'm sure obviously the guest experience was one of them. And, and would we lose points of service? And but it was always adoption. Right. And somebody right. would use like their obscure grandma or or aunt or uncle and be like, well, they they don't know how to use a phone. 
everybody knows how to use a phone now. Right. So like, yeah. so, so I feel like the pandemic did answer a lot of questions for us. Right. Yeah. No, you're a hundred percent right. No adoption is key. And, and we all know how to use it. I mean, and speaking of, you know, the, you know, that older generation you're talking about, the grandparents, their grandkids are teaching them how to use it. I mean, I'm not on TikTok, but I, you know, I see it via Instagram. There are grandparents on TikTok because their grandkids say we have to do this, you know, this little dance. And so it's, it's happening and it's more and more required. I mean, anything we call for, you know, and I mean, I'm just, you know, medical wise or anything else, you go through a series of, of steps that are technology based. So we're learning fast. And, you know, all of us who I call we're digital immigrants, you know, I, I got email my junior year of college, right. so digital immigrant, but digital natives, the ones who were born and have used it all their lives. I mean, they're teaching a lot of us, you know, who have had to adopt, you know, over the course of time, they're teaching us how to use things. So I think we're there, you know, you're absolutely right. And so a couple things just around that, I want to first address one more thing on the labor piece is mm-hmm. uh, something some hotels, and we are doing this in a couple of our independent hotels, we're testing out a robot that clean does housekeeping. So cleans bathrooms in hotel rooms. Wow. So, and it's a, I mean, it's a big robot. It kind of, you know, replaces the human, you know, aspect of that because right. when you have open positions in housekeeping, it's important to figure out how do we overcome that? So we're testing this out. We don't roll things out until they're, you know, close to perfect, you know, make sure that, you know, we figure out what the bugs are and make sure that the end product is as expected. It meets, you know, needs expectations, but that's another one that we have to start embracing technology in order to continue operating. And, you know, ideally that improves margins, you know, of hotels, but right now there is obviously some R and D around, you know, the expense of that. And then another piece, you talk about adoption, let's circle back to EV passport and EV charging. One of the big things, and back to why I joined the advisory board role is the importance of being able to provide the services that our guests need. And one of the things that, you know, I think our industry might be a bit slow to, you know, they slow to recognize is how fast some of these things adoption wise right. are coming down the pike. I say that literally and figuratively. Uh, people are buying EV cars. There, it's not just Tesla anymore. There are over a hundred models of electric vehicles that are available for sale to consumers, and they're all different price points. It's not just the really expensive. I mean, right. we're getting down to much more affordable versions of these cars. Hertz is just one of the rental car agencies that have ordered a hundred thousand electric vehicles, and so before someone even buys an electric vehicle for themselves, they may end up renting one. And, you know, so you're on a trip, you're on a vacation, or you're on a business, you know, business travel, you've rented an EV car, you're going to have to figure out where do I charge this, you know, and, and that may be the, the initial step into, oh, I really like this, I'm going to consider buying one when I get my next vehicle. So this is happening, it's happening in real time. And Yes, some hotels have put in some electric vehicle charging stations. It might have one or two here, but it's not, it, or at least it hasn't been at the forefront of thinking of how do we service this need that our guests will have? And there's a, a point coming where if hotels are not installing them and are not prepared for this, then all of a sudden you're not going to get the business of the person who's driving an electric vehicle because they're going to go to a hotel some you know somewhere else in your market because they know that they have a reliable right. charging solution. And then the other is creating a revenue stream around it. You know, I, I 
I, I use this analogy a lot. I park in parking structures and parking lots and whether I pay for it or not, I don't expect anyone to put the gas in my car. You know, I, I don't expect free gas. People who drive electric vehicles aren't expecting free charging. So there's an opportunity to create a revenue stream there and to adjust the revenue based or adjust the pricing rather based on the loyalty level of the person. Are they a hotel guest or are they just charging as a passerby while they're charging? Are they popping you know, into your restaurant and you know, having lunch or something, you know, incremental revenue based on that traffic? So being in this role is exciting to me to be able to help our industry address a really important need that is coming again, as I said, down the pike a lot faster right. than, you know, is speeding down the pike toward us. And we really need to be prepared for that. Yeah, one of the things I loved about talking to Human Shahidi, who's the president and co-founder of EV Passport a few weeks ago was, you know, he said, you know, this is kind of like the internet was, except the internet had such a slow arc and slow adoption because of the barriers to entry, getting it out there. But then you look, you will not, people will not stay in a hotel without internet now. Well, <laughs> You know, EV charging, it, it's coming faster than the internet is. The adoption is much higher, much faster, and much more necessary because you literally can't get from point A to point B without somebody having the service available for you. And if people aren't getting on board right now, they're going to be left behind. And it's going to be a much quicker adoption, much quicker than, than the internet. I mean, the internet took almost, you know, what, 14, 15 years for people to, to for it to be everywhere? Right. This is going to be less yeah. than a decade, right? This is going to be right. less than 10 years. It's going to be, you know, everybody's going to have it. Yeah. Well, and by 2030, a lot of the, the car manufacturing companies are saying we're going to be making primarily or only electric vehicles right. by 2030. And some of them are saying it a little earlier than that, you know, versus others. But at some point you're going to go to, you know, look at cars and the only new car that's going to be available is going to be an electric vehicle. You can buy an old car, you know, a pre-owned oh, car, course, but, you know, that those will be available. But you're, you know, if you want a new car and if you're one who gets a new car every couple of years and, you know, stays up to up to date on the new technologies that are coming out and you want that, you know, cool feature in your car, the feature is electric charging. Love it. Love yeah. it. You know, a Andrea, you know, I want to be uh, very useful in our time here. And one of the other topics I wanted to touch on, you know, I, I, as I, as I prepared for this interview, right. One of the things I noticed is that you are, you are really passionate or really into career development in our industry. And, you know, I, I've seen a ton of media out there for you supporting women in our industry and the growth of their careers. Would you mind taking me through a little bit of that passion and kind of, and kind of what you're doing, what you're working on now with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for asking. Cause I always love to talk about this as well. So first my passion for the industry. I mean, it started, like I said, age 11, age 14 was when I decided that I, this, I'm going into this, you know, this career path. And I just, I, I find first and foremost hospitality an incredible opportunity where someone can start in an hourly job and can end up as CEO. You don't need a medical degree or an engineering degree or any in order to do this. And I realize I'm speaking as a graduate of the Cornell Hotel School, but that is one path. It is not the only path to achieving, you know, a leadership role in our industry and a very fulfilling career taking care of people, you know, providing service, servant leadership you know, some will call it. And as hoteliers, we call it life is service because, you know, that's, I believe that's what we're here to do is to take care of others, you know, around us as well as ourselves. I'm excited about just, you know, the hospitality, you know, industry, you know, as a start. And then I've been a career long, as you said, advocate for the development, mentorship and sponsorship of women leaders in our industry. And it's just so important because when you look at the, the higher tiers of our industry, as you get up to you know, executive leadership, 
it's not very female. It is. It's not. also very white. That's a whole other. That's a whole other conversation, right? Exactly. And and so the diversity of both is so incredibly important. And the only way we're going to get there is 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 if hotel leaders in these roles are developing, mentoring, and sponsoring. So developing, you know, pro- helping provide the skills. Mentoring is again giving that coaching and guidance. And sponsorship is a whole other thing, which is actually putting people up for opportunities, not just mentoring, but helping other people make decisions about, you know, who would be great for that role. You should look at this individual. Uh, So really actually helping them move up the rungs, you know, within, within the industry. So, you know, I, I've been both a formal and informal mentor for, I think my first mentor officially was the year I graduated from college. So I had a mentee who was in college, you know, just okay. four years younger than me. And then since then I have been in, in formal positions of that and informal. Mentorship can happen anywhere. I, I say one time I had a woman sitting next to me on an airplane and I was busy working away. And she kind of looked over and watched and asked you, may I ask what you do? Like, what do you do you know, for work? And I explained and she asked a couple more questions. She goes, I think you're someone I want to know. Could we, and I thought that was, a, it was a great way. She wasn't shy about it. I was really proud that she you know, took the opportunity to ask. And then we did for the next couple of years, you know, we did talk on, you know, every wow. month or two, you know, and just, she updated me on what was going on and I helped her make some decisions. And, you know, so it doesn't have to be a lifelong, some are lifelong mentorships right. and, and involvements. And some are just, you're in one another's life for a period of time and it helps them jump to the next step or learn, you know, something that, you know, they may have needed to learn along the way to help them propel forward. So I'm involved in on the advisory board of AHLA, which is the American Hotel Lodging Association Foundation's forward initiative, which is women advancing hospitality. I'm one of the past chairs as well as on the advisory board and have been on advisory board of a group called Castell at College, which is now actually part of the HLA foundation. So, and then I'm a luminary and coach for an initiative called She Has a Deal, which is helping women get into hotel ownership. So, okay. you know, another, you know, another thing that's really important of is there course. are not a lot of female owners of hotels out there. So again, it's, it's all about leaders paying it forward, you know, and reaching back, bringing people up with them, you know, the, the term all ships rise together. You know, I believe that where, you know, we can all join hands and, you know, lift one another up, you know, it, over, over the course of our careers. And, you know, I love to see when people are doing that, you know, are not only developing themselves, but are really passing that on to develop others. It will, it. it will make the difference in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, mentorship also a passion of mine uh, as well. And I think that, you know, it, like, like you're illustrating here, right? You don't have to be a 20 year veteran to be a mentor. You can be a year one, day one, you have something to add valuable for somebody else. And you can't shy away from that. You can't yeah. shy away from that. Well, awesome. I'd love to, yeah, to, to your point, I 100% agree with you. And I do always say, it doesn't matter where you are in your career, in your life, somebody is always looking up to you. And so, you know, if whether it's your younger siblings or cousins or whoever, somebody is watching what you're doing. And, you know, I, I always look at that and say, Emma, are the decisions I'm making and the actions I'm taking, are they ones that I would want someone else to follow? Because I feel it's important in my time here in this, you know, this life to make sure I'm, I'm making choices and taking steps that I would want others to emulate. And so, because you just, you never know who's watching and you never know who's going to say, 
watching her or watching him made a difference. I saw something and I, I followed in the footsteps. It's how it, the story I didn't tell how I got into this, you know, into hospitality is I went to a business dinner with my dad. He was president of the board of one of Marriott's vacation club, you know, ownership groups. And the next day was the board meeting. And he met with a woman who was the resort manager. We all had dinner together and she brought another woman, I think, you know, her, her VP, you know, with her. Mm -hmm. And so here we are at a business meeting, with two women and the woman, Cindy, who did, you know, most of the talking, she was the one in charge. I was absolutely taken aback at how articulate she was, how just, she seemed powerful without being aggressive. I mean, she just knew her stuff. She knew how to commit. And I just sat there. I'm not sure I said more than hello and nice to meet you and goodbye. I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. Right. And, but I, dad had said, come on this trip with me, get your homework, you know, and they would come along. And we walked away from that dinner and I was starstruck. And I said to my dad, I want to do what Cindy does. I, I want to be her. I, I've shared that with her since I actually interned for her, you know, before I went off to Cornell and, but I don't know to this day, if she knows truly how much, you know, her presence that evening and how she conducted herself and the things she spoke about influenced my entire career. So I just, re- I just remember that, you know, small things are big things, you know, Absolutely. just depending on who's watching and, and what the situation is. And so, you know, may we all, you know, approach our decisions in life accordingly. Awesome. That's amazing. And, you know, personally, I'm a huge advocate of, of Marriott Vacation Clubs. I worked for them for years. So that's a whole nother conversation we can yes. go into, but uh, you <laughs> know, two podcasts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know, just to kind of wrap this piece of this up, you know, one of the questions I had, right, is, you know, our industry, anybody you talk to will scream into the wind that this is an amazing industry and there are opportunities every day for somebody, but then you go to look for those opportunities and nobody can find them. You know, what, what kind of advice or, or, or feedback do you have for us as an industry to be able to get our message, our jobs out there, whether it's external or internal as well? Because a lot of times we're really good about telling people outside of our industry, not so much telling people inside our industry. Yep, exactly. So, you know, first, I think if, if people are looking for opportunities, start looking at, you know, the hotels and the companies that are managing hotels. I mean, so there are management companies out there, they're hiring, you know, within, if you go to our company, it's Marcus Hotels and Resorts, MarcusCareers.com. There's a list of opportunities that you can apply for. So that's a first step. Otherwise, when you get to a bigger, broader approach, American Hotel Lodging Association, the foundation has an incredible initiative called the hotel industry. And it's, it's basically saying it's a place to, you know, to grow a place to stay and their meaning as an associate. So there's a, you know, a great initiative that they've been doing just within the last several months. I don't know that it's, I don't think it's actually been quite a year yet, but they're doing to get the word out about the hospitality industry being an opportunity. Because, you know, when you ask kids, what do you want to be when they grow up? You know, they might say, you know, a police officer, a firefighter, a doctor, a teacher, you know, you, you kind of know what the, the, these, you know, general roles are, but I, you know, I think I was one of the first ones at an early age that was like a hospitality executive and people like, what is that? So, so, you know, we have to get the word out to, to students earlier. And that's part of what this initiative is, this is really getting into, you know, young adults, colleges, high school that's what Castellet College is all about, is executive women in the industry talking to hospitality students and, you know, just giving them assurance of, you know, 
here's here was our path. Here's how we ended up in our careers to help keep people on that hospitality track, you know, throughout their schooling. So I think there's there's a lot of ways that we can continue to get the word out. But another one of them is podcasts like yours, like doing what you're doing. I mean, people will emulate and will desire to be what they can see. And so first they need to see people in these roles. And so people, you know, in our industry as leaders need to be more visible and then they need to see people who look like them. That was the other piece is, you know, my dad is, you know, as I shared, you know, developer, investor, entrepreneur, I am just like him. If you saw a picture, you'd say you're a blonde version and female of your dad. So, and, and I'm, very much the same way, just in my business viewpoint and everything and, you know, how we think and so forth. But um, I didn't instantly think I'm going to follow the path of my dad because he wasn't female. I wasn't, you know, as much as I am just like him, it, I didn't really connect with an opportunity to do the things that I'm doing until I saw a woman doing them. And that's another thing that I've always found. So, you know, just to all who are, are you know, t- spending their time, you know, sharing their time with us, watching, you know, make sure you're visible and you're sharing your story with others because it makes a difference. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. Now I'm going to ask you to share one more thing now, as we kind of wrap things up here, which is, you know, I always ask for a piece of advice for that next generation. And we've spent a little bit of time talking about that here. Do you have any advice that you like to give people who are coming up in the industry or future leaders in our industry? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love this question. There are lots. And, you know, I always have to think about which one do I share with? So Here's what I think is really important. So, and just as a bit of background before I you know, kind of give the the the, the, the advice, the punchline. The, right. yeah, but you know, I found success in my career by stepping out of my comfort zone. That is so important. To, you know, whether it's in pursuit of ongoing learning, you know, I'm going to be learning new things until the day I die, and that's how I approach everything. I am. I may be an expert on th- certain things, but there's always more to learn. Things are always changing and evolving, always developing my skill set, you know, and gaining additional experience in the roles that I've taken. I've jumped out of my comfort zone and stretched. And then in the ways, you know, that we talked about that I engage in our industry outside my day job, getting involved and following my interest and curiosity and passion. And I've even moved all over the country. I mean, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, you know, back and forth and around and lived all over in different places to pursue these opportunities. So that was another, you know, outside my comfort zone, especially you know, at my younger, you know, at a younger age, then another, you know, success point for me has been, I have a natural aptitude for connecting people with one another. So I love when I know two people who I believe can benefit from knowing each other for for whatever reason, personal, professional, and whatnot. I love to make the world a smaller place. So between these two, those address ideally what you know. So we always gain experience and increasing your knowledge base and who you know, or equally important, who knows you? Because you know them knowing and remembering you is incredibly important. But those right there are two keys to success: what you know and who you know. So how you can put those together. But the the real you know the punchline here of, of the piece of advice is regarding the comfort zones. Don't be afraid to fail along the way, because if you're stretching out of your comfort zone, you will fail. You will stretch yourself. I once was speaking to a Cornell class, and I told them, "I want you to fail." And they all looked at me in horror, like I just thrown daggers at them. And I'm like, let me explain. If you are not failing, you are not trying hard enough. The whole idea and the goal is to fail forward. So which is deriving the lesson from that failure and applying it to your ongoing efforts. What did, and, and taking a step back and saying, okay, I failed. Wipe your tears off, stop sitting around sulking and go, what did I learn? 
And how am I going to apply that going forward? So I don't make that mistake again, but I push further and I'm going to make another mistake again. We all have, we've all done it. We're human. We're going to do it. But through the course of, you know, failing and learning, that's how you end up stratospherically improving your success and, and your learning and your experience of life, frankly. I love it. I love that is probably one of my favorite pieces of advice because people sometimes get crippled by what could go wrong. They don't ever take the first step and they're terrified if something does go wrong. Yes. Stuff goes wrong. Like, yeah. like if you try hard, stuff goes wrong. Like yeah. you just have to get over that hump and, and, and just adopt that and, and just push for, I love that. That is right. wonderful advice. Thank you well, very much for that. Let's, yeah. Let's cross that question out of what could go wrong and just change it to what could go right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Think about how much happier you would be if you looked at every situation like, oh man, if I nail this, what could happen, right? right. Exactly. Oh. How yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> much better, much happier. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. If people are looking to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I would say connect with me on LinkedIn is a super Perfect. way. So let, you know, start there and just send me a note with a, with a connection invitation and, and happy to, to follow up from there. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today. And and obviously this has been a very, we went, we went into a lot of directions here on this episode and I, I absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Oh goodness. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate your time and being here and, and appreciate everyone for tuning in and, and listening to our conversation. Awesome. Well, Andrea, I'll see you again in the future. And if I can ever do anything, please let me know. Great. Thanks so much. Right. And the same to you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. And we hope you found this episode insightful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review. You can find more information and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hospitalityleaderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Upshift. Our on-demand staffing platform allows businesses to hire high-quality hourly workers with peace of mind. Find out more at upshift.work.